Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld-Flanagan, expat and interior designer based in Dublin, Ireland. This show is all about informing and inspiring you, homeowners and renters in Ireland, on all things around property, housing, and home, from self-building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. Welcome back to another episode of the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld-Flanagan, and today I have with me Kate O'Driscoll, who you may know from her Instagram account, Victorian Rathmines. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. And so if you know her account, it's not just one of those pretty house accounts who shares amazing details. Kate also now works as an industry expert, and what she does is renovation consulting, which is quite a new offering in Ireland. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, in a bit. But first, Kate, I want you to tell us how you ended up um, with your series of renovations, flipping houses, and um, and then we'll get to the renovation consulting. So take us back to, to where it started. Yeah, it wasn't really a direct path here. It's a little bit <laughs> up and down and around the houses, literally around the houses. So we started with our first house in, in Galway in 2014. It was a new build that was left empty and unfinished for about six years. So we didn't, we finished it, you know, through direct labor and some DIY ourselves. And um, when we decided to kind of move to Dublin, when my job changed and I moved back to Dublin, um, we sold up that house and we bought uh, a Victorian house in Rathmines in Dublin. So hence the name of my account, Victorian Rathmines. Uh, we really wanted to live in that area, but obviously it was a really expensive area to live in. So we could not afford a finished house. So we bought what was a derelict house. It was derelict for wow. four, 40 years. Um, wow. Now there had been a caretaker coming in and um, just maintaining kind of generally, but there yeah. was no heating that worked, you know, the gas had been cut off, the electricity had been cut off. So all that had to be redone. But not only that, there was no kitchen. But us being very green to the renovation game decided we could live in it. So we moved oh, in in, no. uh, in October, I think, 2018. Yeah. And we spent the first eight months living in this house. We kind of had makeshift kind of heating with plug-in rads. Um, we managed to kind of get the heating system as old as it was, kind of up and running. Um, and we used to do some conservation and kind of renovation work over those eight months. So I'd come back from uh, a day's work and I might strip some stair spindles or strip a door or an architrave or woodwork. Over that kind of eight months, we engaged with an architect and we did plans for the kind of renovation, you know, upgrading of all the heating, plumbing, electrics, everything, and a little extension at the back. So that eight months took us up to the builder moving in and us moving out. We rented locally and uh, we renovated that house from kind of top to bottom. We pretty much just three walls and the ceilings and cornicing and detailing left and we rewired, we plumbed. And so how, what possessed you to do this? Like, so I know from our chat before, your background was in, in industrial design. So you, you think in a certain mathematical way and understand things, but you weren't working in civil construction or anything like that. And, and neither was your husband. So what what made you even choose the the Galway house and and want to do those things yourselves? Because a lot of people would just pay somebody else to do it for the hassle. So there was obviously something that drove you to do that from the beginning. Definitely. So my my base degree in college was industrial design or product design. So I definitely have kind of that creativity in me. But then my mm. job was engineering and medical devices, which was quite. I suppose, structured and regimented and not maybe as creative. So this was, I suppose, my creative outlet at the time. Um, it was a way I kind of 
got got that piece of me out or you know it started yeah. as a hobby but then it kind of took over and it was a little bit of a a little bit of an addiction to see these houses <laughs> come back to life and do little bits on them and yeah see what you could do yourself like we we really didn't have a clue going into this Victorian house in Rathmines and like we did a little bit in the Galway house but it was a new house we had no idea about lime plaster and and yeah. cornicing and ceiling roses and old joists and old floorboards like we had none of that in the old house um so that was all a learning as we were kind of doing approach I suppose yeah um but yeah it was definitely a baptism of fire we had no kids at the time we just had the dog and the poor dog <laughs> like had a bed downstairs but we had a heated blanket for the dog because the Aww. heating was so bad now so we used to she had a heated blanket in the kitchen so she loved that actually it was pretty toasty in <laughs> fairness to her but um yeah so I don't know if we could have gone so deep into it having kids now obviously yeah and okay so you lived there and and I feel like we've had I've had um I interviewed an architect who did a similar thing living on site with no kitchen and all and all of that. So you did that for 8 months and you were just doing yeah. small works that that wouldn't then be kind of redone by the builder like like you were stripping paint off things and and that kind of work like more aesthetic. Exactly. So any <clears throat> walls that were staying uh stripping them back refinishing them. all the external walls we insulated so we kind of left those as they were because they were all to be kind of chipped back and insulated and yeah. lime plastered again anyway. And um, the stair spindles, I stripped every single one of the 50 of them by hand. Um, we stripped the staircase, you know, treads and everything ourselves yeah. as well. A lot of the woodwork is in the, the intricate architraves, all the doors. There was 10 internal doors in the house. We did all that. Oh my and God. we sanded back all the original floorboards um, in the whole house. Uh, so we did all that kind of while we were living there. Um the house was protected, so we couldn't okay. we couldn't structurally change anything. And um, yeah. that's why we had planning for all the major works. So all we could really tip away at in those eight months was the kind of restoration or conservation work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of did it like learning little by little. So we'd start with maybe heat gun stripping. We tried one door where we did a dip strip because everyone was saying, oh, dip strip the doors. It's the best thing you can do. It's so quick. And what is dip stripping? It's like you put it into a chemical bath and it, it will oh. literally dissolve off all the layers of paint. Um, okay. What people don't tell you is if your doors are quite fragile and maybe 140 years old, like some of these were, it can damage them. So yeah. the, one that, the one that we tried, um, it ate away some of the molding that was a little bit more fragile and it warped the door. So okay. we stopped at that one and we didn't do any more. So the rest of the nine we did by hand. Um, with a heat gun, right? Yeah, with a heat gun. Yeah, uh, heat gun some of your and- stories. How, how does it work? Yeah, so the heat gun, it's just like a hairdryer that gets much hotter um, and you just kind of hover it over a certain area until the paint starts to blister and then you use, you know, various types of scrapers depending on the surface you're using just to lift away the paint. Um, It's definitely kind of a technique you kind of have to learn. I suppose the first one, you start burning paint and it starts smoking and you're saying, okay, that's wrong. And then you don't heat it enough and you're scraping and scraping and nothing is coming off. So it's finding that kind of balance and striking it. Um, so we did that. We also used a product called Peel Away. So there's various versions of these in the market now, but there's also like Cling Strip is another one I see um, on a lot of Instagram accounts. So we use that. It's kind of like a chemical paint stripper. We used it on the cornicing ceiling rows and we tried it on some painted doors and stuff as well. So paint it oh. on, you put a kind of a cling film and it melts away the paint. And you'd be led to believe on Instagram accounts, it's so easy. <laughs> And it's horribly difficult and <laughs> unbelievably messy to clean up. Like if you're doing it outdoors and you can power hose the surface afterwards, great. But if you're doing it in your house, just be warned, it is seriously messy work. Yeah. How do you even protect for that? Because it's like 
if you put plastic down, it could melt the plastic, the like boiling paint, right? It literally burned through. It's very, yeah, it's very toxic. So like when my husband was doing some of the overhead work and the ceiling rose in the cornicing, so he, he was always masked up or he had a boiler suit on or something like that. Um, wow. But obviously one day when he was scraping it, some sort of dust or something got underneath or d- down the front of his his boiler oh. suit and he had a rash all over his chest from it. So some of the stuff is nasty. And if you're actually living in the house, the wash down, the clean down is, yeah. is the hardest part because if you don't clean it down, it keeps eating away the wood. Sure. So that clean down, we did it on the doors when we were working on the doors outside and then we could just power hose it down and retreat them for woodworm and, you know, refinish the doors. Um, but yeah. if you're doing it inside, it's an absolute mess. And how much do you think you saved from the building works by doing that, like all of the I stripping would, of the stairs, mm. doors, and you did the sanding yourself of the floors in that house, right? Yeah, we did all the yeah. floors. And then when we moved back in, we got the builder just to finish to kind of a builder's finish. We painted yeah. and everything. Wow. Okay. So I would say if we totted up all of that um, and some of the other kind of DIY stuff and the sourcing, because we did a lot of the, like we sourced everything ourselves. We didn't yeah. really rely on our architect for that at the time. Uh, and we shopped around a lot. I would say the guts of 50 to 75K, I would say we saved. Wow. Adding and it all up. What, what kind of sourcing are you talking about? there like the whole everything house. everything yeah everything okay. from like the sanitary where like all the plumbing stuff handles okay. for the kitchen making sure mm-hmm. you know any of that furniture soft furnishings cut curtains everything we sourced yeah pretty much well really even, the, arch- even the light switches and everything yeah I mean an architect isn't doing a lot of those things and sometimes the builder will just choose whatever they're used to using or their subcontractors are, are used to using so when we get to the renovation consulting we can we can talk a little bit more about each person's roles and responsibilities because a lot of times people will just get stuck with the spotlights the builder chose or the switches that the electricians decided he'd buy that more (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so you did all your own sourcing and all this manual work stripping back of the paint um did you do like wood filling and sanding too like you were doing repairs yeah Yeah, so anything that was broken or chipped or anything we'd we'd uh, fill and sand and especially the staircase that it was kind of quite eaten away so our yeah. house had been dis- divided up into bed sits. So I can wow. only imagine how many times that stairs was walked up and down in 140 years. Wow. Um, so like it was quite eaten away in part. So we had to use kind of, you know, epoxy wood fillers and things like that to fill any gaps and holes. And uh, did you have to follow any conservation guidelines as you were doing these things? So it sounds like you're using like epoxy and some of these chemicals. They seem kind of quite aggressive. And I know you you also have a, a background in sustainability as your your second career. Did you have to like adjust the kind of things you used as you were watching YouTube videos and learning about it? Yeah, so we just had to be very cautious not to use anything that could damage any of the detail or cornicing yeah. or any of that kind of architecturally important detailing in the house that it was wasn't harsh enough that it was going to damage that. Any of the woodwork we conserved, you know, preserved and restored whatever we could. We didn't replace anything. So anything that needed to be replaced, say, for example, the window sashes, like they were completely rotted. Um, oh, wow. The frames were kind of OK, but the actual sashes themselves were completely rotted. So we had to do a full photographic survey of that, showed that all the old glass and pretty much every pane in the whole house had been cracked or chipped or something somewhere. Um, so a full photographic survey to justify any kind of replacement there. 
Yeah. Um, so the same went for anything we kind of had to replace that was kind of of any architectural importance or significance. Um, and the same went for kind of lime plaster. So any yeah. of the some the repairs we did on some of the internal walls had to be done in lime plaster as well. And do you want to explain for the average person listening who might not know what lime plaster is or how much it costs? <laughs> yeah, it definitely costs a little bit more. So your standard kind of grey plaster that you see in houses nowadays is a gypsum or a cement plaster. Um, the lime plaster is actually made from lime silicate dust. So it, it's a different type of plaster. It's a different kind of finish. Sometimes you see them kind of unfinished now and people just buff the lime plaster which is a lovely finish as well but it can mm-hmm. be quite dusty if you don't seal it properly um so yeah that's just kind of a specialist plaster finish as well um so yeah that all, all adds adds um money to the renovation but a, a key part of lime plaster is that it's breathable gypsum yeah. plaster would not be breathable and these old houses that are brick on the external facades you know, you can get moisture buildup if you use a, a sealed surface on the internals. So same for your paint. It should be a breathable or a water-based paint um, on the walls because otherwise you can get moisture buildup, you can get rising damp, things like that. So it was all about kind of keeping the house breathable and making sure it stayed dry. Yeah. So you were saying you're taking so- a photographic survey of anything that needed replacement. And that was also because for, for those who might not be aware, when you're applying for planning with this protected structure, there's basically like an audit of your of all the historic features done and recommendations from an expert on how it should be repaired. So how did you manage that? Because you were obviously doing the works as that was being done. So did you have that person come in before you did all the works or did you just not even know about that until you hired the architect? How did you manage yes. that? So we didn't actually apply for the planning until we did the architects uh, work yeah. and the whole architects plans so that was all as a package um, as part of the architects um, yeah the architects work so we didn't actually touch anything that required planning before he kind of came in with his plans and the builder came in at a later date so that all went in as part of the planning process um, everything from uh, a chimney stack we had to rebuild a chimney stack at the back of the house it was it was pretty damaged anyway but we were removing the chimney inside the house yeah, to try and make space for an extension, but we still had to rebuild a stack on the outside so the house looked the same from the outside. Yeah, so these are the kind of things you have to do on kind of um, a protected structure, you know, to keep it looking exactly the same. We did apply to move one window that kind mm-hmm. of faced a wall of our neighbours, and we were hoping to face the garden, but that was rejected. So we wow. didn't we didn't go back and appeal it. We just kind of went with it. And we said, okay, let's just keep the house the way it was exactly. Um, But yeah, those are the types of kind of hoops you have to jump through. So for our windows, we had to replace like for like, um, Mm -hmm. no PVC sashes or anything like that. It was Mm -hmm. all um, wood sash windows, but we did manage to put in a slim double glazed unit into the old sashes. So at least we were, we were able to kind of improve the BER that way. Oh, so you were able to keep the sashes and restore them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, okay so, sorry, cool. the actual frames of the sashes, like the frames in the wall were all okay, but it was the actual yeah. opening sashes that slide up and down were, were rotted. So we had to okay. replace those like for like with um, a double glazing inside. Yeah. Okay. The the slimline ones that look, exactly. kind of look like the, yeah, the single glaze. And were you able to avail of like of certain conservation grants at the time? And did your architect help you with anything like that? There were um, some conservation grants available for roofing and things. Now, we Mm. applied for them. Our timing in the year wasn't great in that, like, we were kind of applying at the end of the year before Christmas. Now, and I'm sure a lot of the grants are already given out at that stage. So for the ones we applied for, we weren't successful. But I think that might have been unlucky timing on our part more than anything else. 
Yeah, I've heard they're in they're in January or something like that. Yeah. And um, what about any of the SEAI grants? Uh, no, because we wouldn't have gotten the BEOR. Our house okay. was BEOR exempt anyway, so yeah. we didn't have a BEOR assessment or anything prior to purchase. Okay. Um, right. But we still got it reassessed anyway. Um, it would obviously reduce your mortgage rate anyway, but we got it up to a B3 rating. Wow. Um, yeah, so we managed to do that by keep, and even keeping the old sashes and all that, the old mm-hmm. stained glass and the original door and all that. Um, but yeah, so we wouldn't have gotten to the rating the SEI needed and we didn't put any heat pump um, or an air to water system just because we didn't have the space for it in the small yeah. garden we had. We had no wall externally that it would have worked on. Yeah, actually tell us a little bit more about the house. Um, obviously on your Instagram, what we see is usually more the the internal. So it's a it's a terrace house, right? Uh, yeah, there, our first one was like semi-detached. Yeah, okay. So there was a kind of a lane between us and the house next door. It was carved up into beds so you had to reunify it. Did it have a basement or no? Uh, no basement, but there was just steps down into um, a small kitchen area that you had to actually duck your head under. So the layout of the house downstairs was front drawing room or living room, a dining room, um, and then the back kitchen, I guess. And the back kitchen was just a cement room. Someone had poured concrete at some point, but there was no kitchen in there anymore. Um, so that was kind of the ground floor level. And then there was a return, which had a, a bedroom and a family bathroom, quite a small family bathroom, actually, with the size of the house. And then the top floor was two large bedrooms and one kind of small box bedroom, I suppose you'd say. Um, so we used the box bedroom on the top floor as kind of a large ensuite for the master yeah. bedroom. And then we just kind of restored and renovated the layout of everything else. The only extension we did was where the kitchen was, we extended out to the boundary wall. So we kind of, I suppose, squared off the return in the house at the ground okay, floor level, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And because we were east facing, we didn't have a huge amount of light coming in, you know, after kind of midday or whatever. Mm-hmm. We kind of lose it from the shadows of the other houses. So we put a long kind of roof light along the south side of that kind of extension. So brought in light kind of all day long. Nice. And the architect you chose, were they conservation experts or? Uh, they they have conservation experts they use. They wouldn't be yeah. in-house, um, but they have people they would uh, work with. Yeah, just to do the conservation report and any justifications for any replacement yeah. and to make sure it was all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's completely necessary. I know that some architects come with their the gr- certain grade listing, but it depends, I think, on the scale of the house and the complexity of the works. Um, because even if you hire uh, an architect whose style perhaps resonates more with you, like you said, they'll always have experts they can tap into because anyway, somebody qualified has to complete that report for planning, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay. So um, the house, tell us about some of the the biggest learnings and the experience project managing this while juggling work and then having your first child um, (laughs) and the pandemic. So tell us a little bit more about that. Um, I suppose we surprised ourselves in what you could do yourself. Yeah. And, you know, we started small. We started with small DIY things that we hadn't tasked ourselves with before we hadn't even had the tools for it so we kind of started investing little by little in tools tackling little projects like the heat gun like it's 20 pounds or something on amazon i just started trying it you know a little by little every evening after work um and just built up and up so we kind of surprised ourselves how much we could manage ourselves yeah Um, and then i suppose learnings as we went through these old houses crop up so many things once you start peeling them back you may as well just peel off everything you know it, mm-hmm. it's very hard to take 
a part of these old houses apart. You have to kind of take it all back to the bare bones almost. Um, so that was a big learning for us because I walked into the site maybe three, four days into it and the demolition work. I was just like, oh my God, there's no house left. Like I, it was kind of scary, I suppose. That, that yeah. was a big learning for me. I didn't expect the house to be so stripped back looking. Now we did this by ma- and maintaining all the ceiling rows and cornicing. So yeah. that made the project probably more difficult for the builder. Yeah. Obviously, the builder would prefer to come in and just get rid of all that and rebuild new walls. But, you know, yeah. that wasn't the case here. So it was kind of working around um, all of that. But you never know what's wrong with these old houses until you start peeling them back. So yeah. luck- luckily for us, we didn't have any major damp issues in this house. It was on Joyce. So like it was up and there was a good void underneath the ground floor. So that allowed, yeah. you know, for for good air circulation. Everything was pretty dry downstairs. We did find that the back dining room had a dry rot at some point. Mm-hmm. There were repairs done. But um, yeah, so we found out stuff like that. So variances like that crop up. So I think doing a period restoration, you always need a good, a good, you know, extra piece in your budget or whatever, you know, a good contingency of 10 to 15% to allow for some of these. And yeah. um, these were things I suppose that we learned as we went through the build. Like another fun one, we lifted the floorboards in the ground floor and some st- at some stage they had joined the joists that are meant to be continuous joists downstairs in the middle with the metal bracer bracket. So we had to replace all the floor joists downstairs. So once you start peeling back these old houses, you find things about them that you wouldn't see, you know, on the face of it. So that was definitely a learning. Um, when it comes to sourcing, I mean... Personally, I think I can always find things cheaper than someone else can find them for me. (laughs) And so I did a lot of that myself in the first house. We sourced everything ourselves, like all the sanitary wear, everything. And as much as, you know, it is convenient, obviously, to use, you know, specific ones that maybe your architect recommends. I found that I always found the stuff quite a lot cheaper myself when I shopped around. So I did a lot of that sourcing myself. There's always packages coming to the house or coming to the the site for the builder. Sourcing was definitely something I learned as well. Having a good contingency, knowing what you can DIY and not DIY yourself, I suppose. Um, What would you not do again in terms of DIY? Yeah, the doors. The doors were so time consuming. I didn't really anticipate how much time they'd take. And I always say there's kind of three phases to one of these restorations. You kind of come in, you get the keys. It's so exciting. You start ripping <laughs> off wallpaper and you start like ripping down curtain rails. And, you know, it's 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 all new and it's so exciting. And then that kind of wears off when you're stepping over bits of rubble and the sharp bits sticking out of the walls and places. And you're a month or two in, you're like, oh, my God, there's a lot of work here. And then there's that middle bit that you're living in this kind of mess for so long. And then you get to the fun bit again where you're picking all the pretty stuff when everything is finished and you're just finishing in the interiors. Like, I love that bit as well. Yeah. But yeah, that bit in the middle is is a hard slog. And it's long, right? Yeah, like it's long. It's long. <laughs> and it's time consuming more than you could possibly imagine if you hadn't been through one of these renovations, you know? It takes almost every waking minute you're thinking about something, you're thinking about a decision you have to make. Like we rented locally when our house was being renovated. So we used to pop in on our way to work at maybe eight o'clock in the morning, drop in with the builder, see if he needed any kind of answers from us or anything like that. And then we'd go off to work or else we'd try and pop in in the evening before he left. But like just going in and doing that every morning, the stuff you catch, the stuff you Mm -hmm. see that could have cost you a lot of time or extra money if it had been done wrong or the wrong thing was delivered or the wrong fitting for a toilet. One time we 
we came in early morning and we bought this beautiful toilet for our on seat. I know it sounds weird, like a beautiful toilet, but it was real ornate and like it was yeah. a piece, like it was a nice piece that you kind of almost wanted on show in the toilet. Um, and the plumber had fitted this huge flexi hose for the waste that was visible. And we walked into the, we walked in the ensuite. I kind of pointed at the builder and I was like, what, what's this? And he was like, I know, I know, I'm going to get him to change it. But like, I don't know if we hadn't been there that morning to say, that's not acceptable. Like, would that yeah. have been plumbed in and he would have gone off happy out? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. The waste, the waste is now cut into your tiles on the floor and that's the way it's going to stay, you know? So things like oh that, I think you catch when you're kind of on the ball, but it is time consuming and it's like you, you reach a point of kind of decision fatigue. So like, I think you have to have the time or the headspace to kind of dedicate to it. And the desire for it. You have to find it. Yeah. You have to find it exciting in some way. (laughs) Definitely. One thing that might be interesting for people is like you had an architect on the job, and a lot of people assume the architect is the project manager. Why did you still find the need to go in every day? Like, where does one person's scope end and the other begin? Just to to help educate people on the role they still have. Yeah, for sure. So the, the architect will usually allow for some amount of site visits mm-hmm. um, and some amount or some level of design and sourcing. Um, we kind of negotiated that with our architect up front about how much or how little we wanted him to be involved at certain stages and what we were comfortable taking on ourselves. I kind of wanted to be heavily involved in some of this stuff. And sometimes I find maybe your architect's architectural style is not necessarily the interior style you want, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes those two aren't the same thing. And that's, yeah. that's fine too. So for that, for those people, you might not want an architect and an interior designer, but like you might want to manage some of the stuff yourself rather than having two separate, separate people. So how long was the, were the works then? Uh, the works for ours were about five and a half or six months, but that was to, as I mentioned, a builder's finish. So we moved back in, in December and we spent our whole Christmas break painting this. Wow. New Year's, everything. So we just spent that kind of Christmas break finishing it ourselves. But like the finishing really went into kind of March, April. You know, by the time we had kitchen installed, everything, that was kind of all after Christmas. Um, so all those finishing bits probably took us into to March or April and then dun, 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 COVID hit. So oh it was good timing <laughs> from that point of view in that like we were just finished the house and we were in. So, yeah. I mean, we couldn't have been somewhere nicer, like, you know, we could relax and enjoy the house and we weren't going wow. anywhere anyway. So we really yeah. had time to enjoy the house. So, Thank God. Yeah. yeah so and, that's, um, that was the kind of time frame. And in terms of the kitchen, actually, and the joinery, since you guys are such DIY enthusiasts and always looking for a deal, what did you decide to do for the kitchen and any other built-ins? So kitchen, we, we shopped around a lot. We went to a few different appointments for um, kitchen places. We love the style. It just wasn't mm-hmm. coming in anywhere close to the budget we had for it um I'll tell you a story I won't tell you the name of the kitchen place but we went to one place that I really (laughs) love and we had the consult and I was very upfront about our budget and she said we should be able to make something work for that and we did a whole design meeting and then she said I'm going to present the design to you come in we said great we sat down she presented the design and then I said and what about the second run of units because if you've seen our kitchen on Instagram we have two runs of units and a big island I said, what about the second bank of units, which is the kind of utility side? And she said, well, we didn't include that because we couldn't get it into the budget. And I was like, well, but that's half the kitchen. And she's (laughs) like, well, well," she said, maybe you can do that at a later time. 
So I was like, this isn't really in budget then. <laughs> it's half the kitchen. We can come in on budget, but we're going to give you half the kitchen you wanted. So needless to say, that wasn't a runner. So yeah. um, we had some recommendations from people. We actually went to a place uh, in Thurless called Savvy Kitchens. And we had a few design um, a few design appointments with him. And we really went into the detail of the kitchen. He sent samples of the doors. We talked about the internals because we wanted all the dovetailing and all that kind of detail Mm -hmm. as well. And so it was great. But we went over and back on kind of a few few different um, appointments with them to get it right. Amazing. And and you'd recommend them then? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We we built up a great relationship with them. And he did our outdoor kitchen for us then as well. So we have an outdoor kitchen that has like a a Kamado grill and a pizza oven. So he built that for us then as well. Kind of to yes, I feel that. like somebody else has mentioned them on the podcast. I can't remember the episode now. Might have been, could it have been the Portobello renovation, was it? I know my friend uh, Jenny from Workers Cottage also used them. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, so she won Home of the Year the year we were on it. Okay. So her kitchen, cool. her kitchen is also <laughs> from them, yeah. <laughs> okay, so they've got some good, some good street cred there. Yeah. And then what about the rest of the joinery? Did Savvy Kitchens do that for you or, or did we you do actually had a, Yeah, we had a lot of freestanding actually. Okay. Um, we had quite a lot of space. The, the, the house was, uh, wasn't huge. It was 150 square meters, but very big square rooms. And we had yeah. alcoves from the chimney breasts. And it just kind of worked to have large kind of freestanding antique pieces. And I just really like mm. the look of some of the mid-century antique pieces. So yeah. Um, we did a lot of shopping for antiques some adverts and done deal and some antique stealers. Yep. Um, and we got some lovely pieces that way. So a lot of the other stuff was freestanding, really. Okay. Well, and that's a great way to save, right? Like you probably decided your kitchen, you wanted to invest a certain amount in that and built-ins can be very expensive. And if you do want a bit more of that antique look, having some breathing space around the furniture is nice. Yeah. The only thing we did kind of semi-built in, but we did it ourselves was we did ikea packs carcass units for mm-hmm. our wardrobes so we did a whole bank of kind of wardrobe units yeah. we didn't really like any of the doors so we diy the doors where we got shaker doors we cut out the center panel and we did some cane kind of um cane roll like paneling in the inside wow. so we, we, we did that during covid as well <laughs> what did you cut that with which the the panels the, of the doors out um a circular saw i think and then the corners we just got in with a little jigsaw and then we just kind of sanded, filled any edges, and then uh, primed and painted them the color we wanted. Amazing. Is that on your Instagram too? Or? I think it's on one of my highlights, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Wardrobe one. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I think now there's companies also that do, there's one company that I'm familiar with based out of Spain that do nice doors for the PAX units and yes. the IKEA kitchen, the Method, I think. Yeah. That range. I um, actually saw it this morning on the House the Black Bills Instagram. If you follow her, she's, she's got yeah. an amazing. Uh, dressing room and she's doing kind of custom doors so she was sharing all the different options which is great yeah yeah so if you're not as brave as Kate you can maybe buy buy some on the internet <laughs> yeah for sure okay cool and I think I saw also you had some like a your medicine cabinets the mirrored um, oh that was units. a bit of an Ikea find yeah yeah so it was just one of the big mirrored um I think it's like Good Morgan or whatever they're called in, in yeah. Ikea but it fit every bit of kind of cosmetics and toiletries that I had in this one big marriage unit. And it's a tiny bathroom we have here at the moment before you renovate. So it really opens up the place. It looks like way bigger when you go in there. Yeah. And yeah. I think we got, oh. I think I paid 29 euros for it. Wow. And, adverts, <laughs> and I think they're 300 new. So I felt like that was a bargain. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll get to the point soon where you tell us how you sold that house and bought a new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before, before we get to that, what were some of the splurges that you did on the original Victorian Rathmines house? Because you showed, you told us all the ways you saved. What were the kind of big investment pieces? Was it the kitchen, anything else? The kitchen, definitely. Um, the kitchen counters, we did the porcelain or the the um, neolith countertops, um, just okay. because we, we cook a lot and I didn't want to be super you know, particular about staining and damage or okay. whatever. So yeah. I feel like they're fairly bomb-proof, but they were definitely an investment. Uh, we invested in the the sanitary wear, you know, mm-hmm. and all the all the bathtubs, shower, thermostats, all that. We bought nice ones of those. I had kind of my heart set in a brand called Lefroy Brooks yeah. long before the house was renovated. And I just thought they were so beautiful. So we shopped and shopped and shopped around. And I'd say I got it for maybe... I don't know, 60% of the price it was in some of the wow. shops I've gone into. So yeah, we we managed to get those kind of finishes that we wanted. They were definitely splurges, I think. Amazing. And the fireplaces, they're beautiful in, in that original house. Those were those were the original ones? Yeah. So there was four fireplaces uh, and mantelpieces. Sorry, there was fireplaces in pretty much every room, but there was four uh, chimney pieces, I guess, yes. or mantelpieces around them. Yeah. So the two bedroom ones, we actually closed up and we built out the chimney breast so the bed could go on that wall and yeah. built in little alcoves for storage either side of uh, the chimney rest. And then downstairs, we restored uh, the two marble ones. We had a black one and a white one. And we used a place in Francis Street, Antique Fireplace Restoration. And they did an unbelievable job of bringing them back to life. They looked like they looked so wrecked and the tiles were cracked and everything. And mm. they just made them back, back to new. Wow. Okay, that's a good tip. All right. So then how do you decide to sell that house and pursue a new project? <laughs> I know I know why um like we loved that house right and we had no intention of kind of selling that quick we always said it would never be our forever home because I just don't think we're forever home kind of people like we'll mm-hmm. probably do this again but maybe in 10 years this time because we have kids do you know we're gonna yeah. settle for some time but I don't think I'll ever be in a house for 20 or 30 years I just don't think it's what we'll do so this house came up very close to where we were it was detached. It had a south facing garden mm, and it had okay. a large garage, like a wow. four meter by 12 meter garage that was already kind of wired and plumbed and whatever for heating. So like it had all the things that our other house didn't. And the one thing that we felt like we were going to grow out of in our house, we renovated pre-COVID, right? So we moved in just as COVID hit and we realized we had no home office. Okay. Yeah. So I was working in a landing. My husband was working in in one of the bedrooms. So we had no dedicated office space. So that was a big miss. So we thought the next thing we can do is we can renovate the attic. Mm-hmm. Then we're making the house even bigger. And we still have this quite small east facing courtyard garden. So that was okay. always going to be the limiting factor. I don't think we'd ever have increased the value of the house more had we extended on, into the attic. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't think it was a really good investment. So when this one came up locally, it had been on the market for a year and no one seemed to want it. Like, you know, it, it was it was cold and it was damp. No one had lived in it for a year or two. So we could kind of see through that, you know, it had potential, had the space we wanted, had the garden we wanted, had the garage. So we said we just take the take the leap and go. I think my baby was five months, I think, when we did it oh first. <laughs> and by the time the sale went through and everything, he was a year. Yeah. So it probably yeah. took six or seven months from first viewing to kind of when we bought it. How long did you live in the, so it was 2018 when you were in home of the year with the Victorian Rathmines house. So how long did you live there before you sold it? 
So yeah, so we we sorry, we bought the house in 2018 and then we moved out in 2022. So we were nearly there, you know, three and a half years, I suppose yeah. we were there. And it was just, you know, you saw the opportunity with this house, a great time to sell as well, probably, and capitalize on your investment. Yeah, I guess it was. Um, we hadn't really considered that too much. And I don't know if necessarily the show or the publicity around the show made a difference. I don't think people yeah. who bought it had seen it on the show or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if it made a massive difference. It helped that the house was kind of finished. And I suppose yeah. being on the show definitely lit a fire under us to get all those little bits finished off. Yeah. And when I even when I look back on some of that home of the year stuff now, I'm like, oh, my God, our house was still so bare. You know, we we hadn't finished everything. Like some of the yeah. rooms are so bare still. We didn't have artwork up. We didn't have some pieces of furniture where we added, you know, later on. So like, yeah, I think it definitely kind of made us finish off things that would have lingered and lingered otherwise. So that definitely helped. Okay. So then you bought this house a year ago. What are you doing differently this time? So we're living in it like we did last time, but this okay. this time it had a kitchen, everything. Now it's quite old. It hasn't it hasn't been renovated in a long time, uh, but it was livable, right? So yeah. the only thing was they were kind of questionable old colours of sa- salmon ceilings and coral walls and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yellow kitchen you know decisions that like were made a lot of the time in Ireland in the 80s and 90s but anyway the <laughs> colors were probably not to my taste so we just kind of came in to live in it neutralized it we've ripped up all the carpets in all the bedrooms and we've resanded all the floors we've kind of restored bits that are going to stay the same when we do a major renovation so okay. this house still needs a major renovation it needs to be re- rewired it needs to be replumbed it needs all that work done so um, yeah, we're just trying to do stuff that we know will still kind of be of value when we do that. What are other examples of that? Uh, so the floors are a major one. Uh, we've yeah. kind of, you know, painted everywhere, neutralized it. We've kind of done a bit of a pantry design just to take some space out of our little kitchen because there's so mm-hmm. much stuff out and appliances and everything. What else have we done? Yeah, pretty much it so far. We repointed the front of the house. Um, oh, wow. because the, the house is going to kind of stay the same obviously in the front mm-hmm. um, all the woodwork and window boxes and all that were getting painted up in the apex because it's a Tudor style house all that woodwork needs to be kind of restored so we're going to do all that we're doing the gardens at the moment um, so just tidying up the garden we've done the the garage which is now a home office and a gym wow um, so that's going to stay the same when we renovate um, so they're the kind of yeah they're the bits we've done and I, I would say this: a lot of this stuff is possible to do because it's a detached house, so you're going to have access for the builder. Otherwise, your access would p- potentially ruin a lot of the things you're doing. A builder's traipsing back through the house, right? Like, if, for the example, the garage. Exactly, we have a side entrance and everything, so yeah, okay. that that makes things a lot easier. Um, detached, so you can make a little bit more noise. I suppose when you're doing work and you're not disturbing neighbors, which is yeah, which is great. Also great if your kid is not sleeping very well. <laughs> you're not ner- you're not nervous or concerned about your neighbors and your kid's crying <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um. So yeah, being detached that definitely helps. Having the side access that really helps, so people can just kind of come in and work in the back of the house if they need to. When I'm still in the house. Um, yeah. But yeah, that all helps. I think. Okay, and you're planning. So you're rewiring. You're replumbing. Are you opening up walls for any insulating? Yeah, it's all going to be, it's all TBD because this house is protected as well. Um, yeah, so okay. we're going to have to apply for anything we want to do. But in an ideal world, there's a chimney breast 
that runs at the back of the house through our kitchen dining up through two bedrooms upstairs. And it's huge. It actually cuts off windows upstairs. It's such a big chimney breast. Um, so ideally, we'd like to get rid of that chimney breast. Yeah. We can keep we can keep the stack on the roof, but that will open up downstairs in our living and dining and, and that second kind of playroom, sitting room. That'll open up that whole space and make it totally different. So it all depends on that, the design. We might need a kind of a plan A and a plan B with the architect, depending on how how strict conservation is. Okay. Oh, that sounds all really exciting. And so then that takes us a bit more professionally. As you um, did the Victorian Rathmines house and started cataloging it in your Instagram, people obviously started reaching out a lot. You were sharing lots of tips. You obviously spent a lot of time on it because it's really well done, really well maintained. You had two kids. <laughs> and then being, I suppose, between maternity leaves, you started pivoting towards developing this renovation consulting service. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so my my actual career, my job was, um, was sustainability and corporate strategy and sustainability. So in between my maternity leaves, um, I took the year out um, and I was already pregnant by the time I was due to go back. So we kind of made the decision as a family to kind of focus on this and for me not to go back um, full time into my my job in between. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I set up this because I'm constantly getting requests for information on Instagram. Now I share as much as I can and I put as much as I can in highlights, but people want specific to their own projects sometimes, specific to their own house or color scheme or whatever, or, you know, DIY, what should I do? Should I not? Should I touch these walls? Should I refinish them myself? So I suggested setting up initially these kind of one-to-one drop-in sessions. So I've done loads of those with clients where people come, we have a one-hour session. It's amazing what you can actually cover in an hour when you see plans and you see what they're kind of, planning to do with their house I just give them a steer as to what they could DIY if they're hands-on people what they should farm out if they were buying tools what would be the kind of key tools that I'd recommend if they're getting into something like this kind of renovation Mm -hmm. and then I've done um, actual room design ones so anyone who kind of liked I suppose the style I did in my my previous home I've gone from one hour sessions on a specific room or a specific kind of steer toward a style and maybe where I source things all the way up to full room design and shopping lists. Um, so I've done that for clients. And then I have a handful of clients, because I can't really take on any more than that, doing kind of more detailed project management. So essentially what I did for my own build, but for someone else who might be a bit more time poor and couldn't be on site as much as they'd like to be. And yeah. like we were mentioning earlier, maybe the architect isn't going to be as hands-on or as full-on and that kind of remit for them. Um, So taking kind of that role for them as well. So coming in, doing the site visits, being the kind of go-between or the liaison between their architect and their builder, helping them with the sourcing, helping them with the specs, things like that. Yeah, amazing. So people can hire you from an initial session. I'm just looking at your website here. Even if they're just thinking of buying something, you could go out with them to look at the property. Yeah, so local ones, I've said, that I'd be able to do kind of house viewing just to say, yeah. you know, generally speaking, I'm not going to do an engineer's report, you know, an engineer's sure. report is a totally different thing, but I would give my view on, you know, aspects of the house that were good aspects of the house that were bad things. I think I could, you know, cheaply improve myself um, if I had the house. So, yeah. you know, trying to help people see through sometimes what can be prettied up in a house viewing or, if it's a wreck, seeing through that wreck and seeing where mm-hmm. you might get value and other people aren't seeing it. So yeah, I've, I'm offering those kind of on-site sessions as well. So I've done a few for clients where I've come in and seen a house they've 
um, they've bought and they're kind of saying, do I need an architect or do mm. I just do renovation? Do I just go direct labor with this house? Um, and just giving them some options and just some thoughts and kind of uh, doing a walkthrough. That's kind of worked really well, I think. Okay. And would you also recommend trades and, and even contractors? Uh, yeah, for ones that I've worked with myself yes. and like I've yeah. actually kind of vetted, I suppose, myself, I'd give some recommendations. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not going to give specific, you know, here's the contract to use them. I don't work specifically with any one contractor, but yeah. any ones that I've had really good experiences with, I'm happy to share. And so the full scope of what you could do for someone is even drawing up suggested layouts and sourcing and then project managing between an architect and the client and the builder. Is that right? Yeah. So ideally, if someone can come to me with their plans or floor plans, um, I can work around that. I'm not going to be their architect because, you know, people in some instances have an architect here and I'm being careful not to step over the boundary of what the architect's responsibility is here. Um, But for people who don't have an architect that want to steer, even the floor plans from, say, a house listing on daft is good help, you know, Mm -hmm. just as a good starting point. And then I can work on that and overlay that with some drawings to say, you know, here's a suggested one. Here's some suggested pieces of furniture you might look at. Here's some, you know ways that if you were working with an architect, what you could do with glazing or bringing light or whatever, um, just giving them, I suppose, alternatives and yeah. giving them kind of suggestions as to if I was you, I might now enlist the work of an architect because I think it would add real value to this room versus, no, I think you could probably manage this yourself by purely just a renovation. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool because it's kind of a, a third party consulting advice that you don't really care whether they hire an architect or not and it's hard to get that impartial guidance yeah and I I found personally when I was recommended a lot of places even to source things um they ended up being more expensive than I could source them myself so I haven't I haven't partnered directly with any you know any places to get or to source things for people so I'm trying to remain impartial from that point of view and I'm not charging people a percentage of the sourcing cost because then there's no incentive for me to get it for cheaper for them. Um, mm-hmm. So things like that, those shopping lists, stuff like that, I'm using kind of the sourcing power that I've, I suppose, accrued over the few renovations I've done to hopefully benefit them. So hopefully end up saving them money in the end, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think some of the initial sessions you offer are perhaps one of the more unique things in the market because some architects might be more involved than others. Some people can hire interior designers but it's even knowing what property to buy, how much that renovation could could even cost. Like, do you help give people a steer budget wise? Abs- absolutely, I I can yeah. give them a range. Yeah, I can de- I can definitely give them a range just based on experience and what I've seen in the market from like my pricing back in 2018, 19 when I did that first house to the ones yeah. kind of more current day and you know the rates we've been kind of quoted now. So I can definitely give a gauge. I can definitely give a gauge on kind of finishes and what kind of ranges people would be looking at so it's yeah. just for example like if they were going with a, a cheaper laminate floor all the way up to a full solid parquet floor like what that range might look like per meter yeah the installs all that all the way to kind of soft furnishings you know furniture all that um as well I could give a good gauge on for sure um but yeah I think that's what's unique to me is you'll find it difficult to get someone to engage at that kind of hourly level maybe from yeah. an architect or, or or things like that so I think this is this is where people get the most benefit it can be a drop-in service they don't have to commit to thousands worth of um consoles they can just do yeah. one see if it fits for them and if it's good do a run-on service and that's the way I've kind of done it that the initials 
the initial kind of consult is slightly more expensive just because I have to do a bit of background research and stuff on mm-hmm. the property. And then after that, we can do it as a drop in as they need it and as frequently or as infrequently as they go through their renom. Yeah, amazing. So if people want to learn more, your Instagram is Victorian Rathmines and your website is Victorian Rathmines. Wait, is that the full URL? What is it? The home page. Yeah, whatever's in my bio. Yeah. Okay. You can get it from her Instagram bio because it's a little long. Um, But you can learn a little bit more about the different services there. And I guess what would be the biggest things you want people to understand if they're like, kind of like you were when you when you bought the first Victorian uh, Rathmines property, they want to live in a certain area, but they're like, you know, I can't afford the, the the dream house. What should people know or understand and be willing to do if they want to buy a wreck, like you call yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good question. And one of the things I do as part of that, uh, you know, I want to buy or I'm looking to buy mm-hmm. is really ironing out, like, what are people's priorities here? For us, I know people are going to laugh, but for us, it was food. <laughs> like that was one of the major things. We love eating out. We love ordering. Yeah. Like, yeah. so Randler and Rat's Minds was like just such a hub for us. We were like, we really want to live here. So that was one of the priorities. And the next thing down the line was definitely a garden of sorts. Yeah. And when we actually scored, we scored our houses as we viewed them. And the house yeah. that we bought in Rat's Minds was the ninth house we bid on. Because things were just so crazy in the market at the time that maybe the scoring wasn't the highest, but we had yeah. reached a kind of a, yeah, we're comfortable with this and it's where we want to live. So we made sure we kind of made it as methodical as possible. So that's one thing I would say, you know, I, I'd like people to know that you, you have to be kind of methodical and not let your mind take over when you go view these houses and they're prettied up or it's a sunny day or it's a rainy day and making that the decision like that on the mm-hmm. spot. Um, so being structured and methodical when you, when you're, when you're house shopping. And then if you are going into the renovation, I suppose what I want people to know is you can do some of the stuff yourself if you're anyway hands-on. Now, I get that some people don't want to, and that's fine too, but just have a good gauge on what you think you might be willing to take on yourself. It's very exciting when you go into these new ho- or these houses you buy and you start ripping things apart, but there is that hard slog bit in the middle. So, you know, I always kind of caution people a little bit on some of the stuff they take on. and I try and give a gauge uh, time-wise as to what they might need to commit to this. Um, and then you'll start to see people kind of roll back and say, oh, well, maybe we can't do as much as we thought with full-time jobs or yeah. kids or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I try and help people kind of understand the kind of time commitments they might need there, um, as well as the kind of costing and all that. And I think also the considerations, if it's a protected structure or if the works they want to do are going to require planning, like that adds another three to six months yeah. realistically to the timeline because it's not just okay here's the planning application it's all the time leading up to preparing the application and the conservation report and all these things and, and understanding okay well where are you living during that time are you continuing to pay rent elsewhere or are you living yeah. in the house all of these different considerations too right yeah, so a lot of people kind of asked us, are you going to live in the house when the works are going on? But if you're really yeah. plumbing and rewiring an old house, I mean, there is no chance you're going to be living here because the, no. house will be torn, the house will be torn apart. Like you won't yeah. have water, you won't have electricity. It's just not doable. Whereas if you're yeah. doing just a renovation, you're prettying it up, then maybe you can do it room by room. So kind of understanding the differences there is, is really important, I think. Yeah. And that whole planning process obviously takes time. And that's if you get no objections and it sails through like if you try try and appeal things you're talking months extra you know yeah understanding that time frame and then 
if you're in Dublin like we are, trying to rent somewhere short term. Yeah. Oh my God. And add a dog into that mix. And, you know, like it's nearly impossible to find somewhere. Yeah. So that's just another consideration. Do you have someone to stay with if you don't have family here? Both of us are not from Dublin. So we didn't have a lot of family we could live with uh, when we renovated. So we paid absolutely through the nose to rent locally when we were when we were renovating. So time was like so precious. We were like on the builder every day. Like we can't slip. We have to be back in December. <laughs> Because we had managed to get a short left, but we had to be out by that set date. So, yeah, all consideration for sure. Amazing. Yeah, I think this is a really valuable service. I think people sometimes need help seeing beyond the mold, the debris, the yellow kitchens. And, uh, and, uh, you know, whether it's an interior designer, someone like yourselves or an architect to accompany people to look at properties to see what could be done. And actually, that's not that expensive. Actually, that is quite expensive. Or you could do that, but you'll need planning. These are the small nuances that, like you said, it's a small call-out fee, but it could save you a, a lot of heartache. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sure. Amazing. Um, any other parting words uh, before we wrap up our very interesting interview? No, nothing specific. But if people want to know a bit more about it, you know, like I said, the link is in my bio anyway. But feel free to DM me and I can kind of answer any questions see if it'll be of use um, to have a little drop-in session or chat. Yeah, amazing. And I'd, I'd love to see more about your your new house because it's very sneaky. You have another Victorian Rathmines house, but we don't know too much about it. So will you be sharing more on the Instagram soon? Yeah, so if you look at my grid, everything kind of from the toddler bedroom makeover up yeah. is the new house. That's okay. the kind of starting point of the new house. But I've kind of shared okay. some house tour stuff in my highlights. Um, And I'm kind of sharing bits as I go, but I guess the house overall isn't maybe as pretty and photogenic for a zoom out photo just yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Still still living in somewhat of chaos, you know, moving around between rooms as we sand floors and that. So yeah, maybe it's not as photogenic for the ground, (laughs) for the grid on Instagram just yet. Um, But we'll get there. We'll get there. It'll be more, it'll be much more exciting in this coming six months or a year when we have the architect's plans and I can share some of that and I'll share some of the planning as we're going through it in real time. Then that fun becomes. Yeah, (laughs) the finishes. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Kate. We look forward to following your journey. And again, that's Victorian Rathmines on Instagram. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors Podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today, please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow along with us on Instagram at the Interiors Podcast or on my Instagram account, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please subscribe, follow, leave a review, and share the podcast with friends and family. Thank you so much and see you here next time.